Amen. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 29. 1 Samuel chapter 29. We will be looking at and reading all of the verses of 1 Samuel chapter 29 this morning. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word, you can open up to page 346 there in the Pew Bible. 346 in the Pew Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 29. As you're opening up there, I do want to reiterate what Nathan has already mentioned, that uh, Easter is coming soon. We're just uh, a few weeks away from Easter now, believe it or not. And so, Lord willing, by next Sunday, we'll have invitations for you to take home and to give to your friends or to put in your lobby or wherever it is you might want to leave a stack of invitations or hand off an invitation. Those will be available for you uh, next Sunday, Lord willing. I can't make any promises uh, on behalf of the printer, but they're due to be here this week. Hopefully we'll even have them by Wednesday night for you. Well, if you have your Bibles open there, 1 Samuel chapter 29, beginning verse 1. Why don't you go ahead and stand with me, if you would, out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. The author writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to us. Beginning verse 1. Now the Philistines had gathered all their forces at Aphek, and the Israelites were encamped by the spring that is Jezreel. And as the lords of the Philistines were passing on by hundreds and by thousands, and David and his men were passing on in the rear with Achish, the commanders of the Philistines said, What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul, king of Israel, who has been with me now for days and years? And since he deserted to me, I have found no fault in him to this day. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David, of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest. And to me it seems right that you should march out and in with me in the campaign. For I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me to this day. Nevertheless, the lords do not approve of you. So go back now and go peaceably that you may not displease the lords of the Philistines. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my lord, the king? And Achish answered David and said, I know that you are as blameless in my sight as an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, He shall not go up with us to the battle. Now then, rise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who came with you, and start early in the morning, and depart as soon as you have light. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Let's pray together. Oh God, I ask if you would, please open our hearts and minds today to receive your word. And oh God, by your grace, I pray we'll be changed by your word this morning. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Usually, uh, not always, 
But usually, our household, our house, can be characterized by a single word. Pandemonium. If I had to choose two, I would say pure pandemonium. However, when our kids were smaller, it wasn't the pandemonium and the yelling and the loudness that got our attention. We have three children. Uh, we have a dog. We recently got a second dog. My hands are covered in flesh wounds. If you want to see the evidence of the puppy uh, at later this morning. All that being said, when our kids were younger, they're 11, 9, and 7 now. So you can do the math on what life was like three, four, five years ago. Even more pure pandemonium is the way to maybe say that. But when they were little, it wasn't the pandemonium and the yelling and the loudness that got our attention. Typically, if folks are yelling and there's pandemonium and there's loudness, we at least know what's going on. That's normal. That's white noise. It was when things got quiet that we got really nervous. In fact, when things get quiet, that's when you know they're really up to something. If I can hear it, I can control it at some level. I can at least get a grip on what's going on. But when things get quiet, that's when you know they're up to something. I think in our own lives and maybe even in our own society, we tend to focus on that which is loud and obvious. We, we tend to want to focus on those things we can hear, those things we can see. You've heard me say this a lot. One of the great enemies of faith in our own hearts and lives is the fact that we're addicted to what we can see. It's what makes faith such a challenge in so many ways. But so often, my friends, God is at work in a quiet way. So often, God is speaking not in the whirlwind, not in the earthquake. So often, God is speaking in a still, small voice. We are a bit addicted to that which is boisterous. If you know me at all, you know that I like boisterousness. I like noise. I like talking. But it can be a challenge to our faith when that's the only thing that registers with us, when we really don't notice things that are quiet. You see, we tend to want God to be loud, to shout His plans from the rooftops, or at the very least, just send us a text and let us know what He's up to. We, we expect God in so many ways to make everything clear to us. But perhaps it's the case that when things get quiet, when we can't hear, when we can't see, when things get quiet, maybe God is up to something. This morning, I want to show you three truths about God's quiet providence. The way that God is at work to bring about, to exert His sovereignty over all things, including our lives and our circumstances, in order to bring about His own plans and purposes in a quiet way. Three things this morning that God might be up to when things get quiet. Three ways that God works quietly perhaps three truths that will help you still your heart when you aren't hearing what you wish you were hearing from the lord three points this morning here's the first god does not waste our past god doesn't waste our past at the military encampment at afec we see as the story unfolds a quiche plans to employ his new vassal warrior. He's got big plans for David. A couple chapters ago, he says he plans to make David his bodyguard for life. That is, where Akish goes, he's bringing this mercenary band with him. And why would he not want to? If you have access to the kind of warriors that thwart your own people in battle, and they will now fight for you, how much better is it for you? 
And so Achish, trying to be shrewd, is going to employ his new vassal warrior David and his men in battle for the first time against their own countrymen. However, his compatriots, as they're walking out before the great army, they ask a question that's understandable. What in the world are these Hebrews doing here? I don't know if you understand this or not, Akish, but we are going to fight Hebrews. It might not be a good idea to take Hebrews with us. It may not be a good idea to bring these men with us. Even as Akish defends David, I want you to note the words of the Philistine lords in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 29. They're angry with Akish, and the commanders of the Philistines said to him, Send the man back, send David back, that he may return to the place to which you have assigned him. He shall not go down with us to battle, lest in the battle he become an adversary to us. For how could this fellow reconcile himself to his Lord? Would it not be with the heads of the men here? Is not this David of whom they sing to one another in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Now notice something. This is really kind of work to David's detriment. Earlier in the text, these same Philistine lords, presumably when David was trying to hide out in Gath, uh, perceived who he was, and David pretended to be a madman in order to flee uh, from the king in those moments. But now they recognize him again and remember again what David had done. Now notice what he says. What better way would there be for David to reconcile himself to Saul, to go home? Do you really think... Akish, I mean, are you really, I mean, honestly, if you're being honest with yourself, do you really think David wants to live in Ziklag and be your personal bodyguard for life when this is what they're singing and dancing about back home in Israel? Is this really what you think? He says, what better way would he have to endure him, I mean, to ingratiate himself back with Saul, to bring, put himself back in Saul's good graces than to do the same thing again that caused the people to write the songs in the first place? In fact, this song sort of hits the radio right after David had chopped a Philistine's head off. Do you remember this? This guy's name was Goliath. He was the Philistine champion. He was from Gath, which is where Achish lives. And they say, what better way would David have to make things right with Saul than to cut our heads off? Don't you remember the song and don't you remember why they wrote it? In so many ways, they're wise. They're smart. They even remember the songs that were sung of him. Remember these things. Now consider the way that they remember David's past and consider the way and think about the way that this is playing into what God's doing right now. God is taking David's past and using it in a really specific way in his own providence according to his own plans and purposes here in this episode. Uh, looking back, I think, in our own lives, in our own pasts, we tend to exclusively see things as positive or negative. We, almost, we just tend to want to have a sort of black and white view of our own history. Things were good or bad. We look back on things either with shame or with pride, looking at things in a really good way. Now, it's good for us to look back and to consider the things we did, which we feel like, according to God's Word, were pleasing to the Lord, and the things that we've done, which are sin. That's important for us to do. Don't mishear me. But so, so often, we often see things, based on circum, certain circumstances, simply as helpful or harmful. I, I don't mean just things we've done, but things that have happened to us. Was that helpful in my life, or was that harmful in my life? But if you've ever experienced blessings, and if you've ever experienced times of trials, 
you recognize, as you look back on those things, some things that were clearly blessings at the time turned out, or that were good things you felt like at the time, turned out to perhaps be something that you used for sin, or something that made your life harder in the long run. And so often we look back on trials in our life. And I often will say about a a few trials in my life, you would not want to know me right now without that trial in the past. I'm insufferable enough with it. I can't imagine myself without it going through some of those difficulties. But in terms of the work of God, when we look in the past, what we need to do is see all of our past. Even as we evaluate it, as we evaluate these different things, what we can say about everything in our past is, is this, they are all strands of yarn that God is weaving together quietly, but steadily and surely to bring about His plans and purposes. Obviously, these are good things that David did, ways that he acted on behalf of the Lord. And in one circumstance with the Philistines, it's a bad thing that they see these things about him and remember these things about him. But now in this situation with the lords of the Philistines, we'll see the way it turns out to be a good thing that they remember these things in David. Obviously, these are good things that he did, things David would look back on and see as providential key moments in his life. It's part of the reason why the text is highlighting these things and the Philistines knew about these things. But something I want all of you to know is that God won't only use the good things from your past. God is also able to use the bad things from our past. God is not a wasteful God. God never wastes anything. In the rest of the life of David, we'll realize that the author of these stories had no desire to present David as a perfectly righteous man. He shows us and demonstrates to us David's sin just as much as he does his righteousness. And so we can see that in the rest of David's life as the narrative continues. But can't we also see it in our own life? Can't we in our own lives look back and see the way that God took those terrible moments, those low moments, even those moments of our own sin, those times we're most ashamed of, and God can use it for His glory as well. Personally, friends, I can look back, and I can look back on some of the worst seasons of my life and see the way that even though at the time I was frustrated with God or mad at God or wondering what in the world God was up to, But now in hindsight, God was at work in ways I could not imagine. God was at work in ways to form and shape me into the image of His Son. God was at work to bring certain circumstances about. God was doing things I could not see, things I could not hear. Even when it felt like He was quiet, He was up to something. And even in the moment of the present, God is using your past. Brothers and sisters, trust the Lord. God is not a wasteful God. He doesn't waste our past, which means something else. It means He also isn't wasting your future. (laughs) Whatever circumstances you find yourself in today, the last thing I would tell you is is that God is punishing you necessarily or that God is uh, harming you. I would never say something like that. But what I can tell you is that God won't waste whatever it is you're going through right now. Brothers and sisters, God doesn't waste our past. But second of all, the second thing I want you to see and consider this morning is this. God's care is often subtle. God's protection and provision, God's care is often subtle. 
Now imagine for a moment what sort of a predicament David would be in if he were to go fight with Achish and the lords of the Philistines. Consider the moral quandary he would find himself in. Do you, if you're David, directly betray Achish, who has gone to bat for you and been good to you? Now, he is misleading Achish, and, and he's certainly at the very best in a morally gray area there, in the way he's already treating Achish. But can you imagine how much more pronounced David's treachery would be in the situation if he were to go into battle with him after Achish went to bat for him and then become a turncoat? What a terrible situation that would be to throw this man who has been good to you and cared for you and given you a place to live and allowed you to work, basically, and eke out a living for the people that you're there to support, something Saul wouldn't allow him to do even in Judea, in his homeland. And so it would be a bad thing to be put him in a place there. However, on the flip side of this, maybe that Scylla Charybdis on the other side is this. Do you wage war against your own countrymen and thus betray your people and in reality the Lord? Of course, that's not an option for David either. In going to this battle, do you take the great risk of playing turncoat in either direction? You recognize this one way or another, you're betraying someone and in some situations maybe betraying everyone. And what a terrible situation that is to put the warriors who have, who have committed to you in these terrible circumstances, what a dangerous and risky place that is to put them. And yet David finds himself between a rock and a hard place until these Philistines sort of sniff him out and then a quiche sort of lets him off and tells him to go home. However, I want you to notice something about this passage. I wonder if it's stuck out at you or not. As we look through the, the pages here, Achish calls to David and says to him, As the Lord lives, you have been honest to me. It seems right that you should march out and end with me in the campaign, for I found nothing wrong in you from the day of your coming to me until this day. Nevertheless, the Lord should not approve of you. So Achish tells him to go back. David sort of puts up forth an argument and says, Really, what have I done? And again, Achish insists, You must not come with us. One time God is mentioned in this passage is from Achish's lips, and it's just sort of in passing. Uh, he's a Philistine. He doesn't believe in the one true God, so he's probably including that there just for David's sake to make David feel a little bit better or perhaps to encourage David uh, to go ahead and do the right thing. But do you notice the way that God is missing in this passage? <laughs> the way it just really never tells us. It really never tells us what God is doing or how God sees things. It doesn't really tell us or make explicit to us what God really wants to happen here. God sees things, but as readers, we can see something beautiful, can't we? God is not being seen here, but we can see something in hindsight. We can see the quiet, subtle care that God is giving to His people. We can see the way that God is caring for David. We can see the way that God is caring for Israel. We can see the way that God is fulfilling His word against Saul and his family. We can see the work of God. Some of you right now, some of you in this very moment, are wondering where God is right now. I've got a Bible. I believe, Pastor, I believe God was at work in David's life. I believe God was at work in Israel's life. There have been moments where I believe God was at work in my life. Today is not that day, you might say. You wonder where God is right now. Why, why God won't give you an answer right now. Why God won't make it clear to you why He's done this or why He's allowed that right now. 
Have you considered the possibility that God's care is subtle? Have you considered the possibility of a quiet providence? The possibility that God is at work in subtle, unannounced ways. Oh, I hope you'll consider this today. That just because God is quiet, just because God has not told you everything you want to know, just because you cannot see everything you wish you could see, just because you cannot hear everything you wish you would hear, just because God seems to be silent, that does not mean that God is not at work. My kids love to know what's going on. Do your kids or grandkids love to know what's going on? You would think that I have often piled all my children up in the car, dropped them off in the wilderness and left them behind with no food, clothing, or shelter. The way they want to know what we're doing next. Dad, what's the plan? What are we doing? Where are we going? Where are we going to eat? Have you made plans about where we're going to eat? Are we planning to eat at a restaurant? Are we going to have to eat a picnic lunch? Do you see a picnic basket in the car? No, but I'm just checking to see. What are we planning to do? I love to tell them, and they hate to hear this, but I love to tell them, why don't you enjoy the time of your life where you do not have to worry about the plan? You don't have to worry about the plan. I have to worry about the plan. I have a million different factors to consider. Your mom and I are thinking about whether or not it's best in this context or that context. But I will look at them. I'll say, you don't have to worry about the plan. And I'll say, don't we usually have fun? Yes. Don't I usually feed you? Yes, usually you feed us. (laughs) Not always. I have forgotten before to feed them. But just lunch. You got it. one more chance to make up for lunch, you know? <laughs> aren't the ideas, I'll say to them, aren't the ideas I often have and the things I do and the things me and mom do for you guys, aren't they often even better than what you would have even felt comfortable asking for? You would have dreamed to ask for that, and that's what we're going to do. Isn't that often the case? Don't you know that even when I deprive you of something, It's usually, I'll say to them, it's usually to give you something better, right? We can't eat out for every meal, but that's because we're trying to make a better financial future for all of us in lots of different ways. We're everything we do, right? We're trying to do for your sake and the sake of our family. Can you trust, I'll say to them, that I am thinking and working for your best even when I haven't made an announcement, even when I haven't said what we're doing? Can you trust me that what we're going to do is going to be great for you in the long run? And maybe I'll ask myself, and maybe I'll ask you, can you trust in the quiet providence of your Father? We're going somewhere. He's got the wheel, and He's not made an announcement yet. But every time up until now, He's provided for us. He's protected us. He's loved us. He means good for us? Will we trust Him even when we haven't heard what He's up to? You should trust Him to use your past. You should trust His subtle care 
And finally, third of all, all of this because God will accomplish His purposes. God will accomplish His purposes. What an anticlimactic, quiet verse for our last point. Verse 11. So David set out with his men early in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. But the Philistines went up to Jezreel. We're left in suspension by the author. We're left in the tension of the text, knowing that Saul is nearing the end, wondering what will happen with David, wondering what's next, asking these questions. But here we see a simple, providential parting of the ways, each person going not only to their next task, but ultimately to God's calling, God's plan, God's purpose. Consider all that God's accomplished here. He spared David from an outright total betrayal of Achish. Perhaps he spared David from having to kill his own countrymen. But consider this as well, what I think was most likely. I think most likely in verse 8, David is speaking doublespeak. I think it's a double entendre what he says. David said to Achish in verse 8, But what have I done? What have you found in your servant from the day I entered your service until now that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King? David has reiterated time after time after time that his Lord, the King, is Saul. That the enemies of his Lord is who he would fight against. So God delivered his own people, I think, from Saul's kingship and paved the way for David to become king without any possibility of him either contributing to Saul's demise and thus having blood on his hands to become king or, or saving Saul from the Philistines and thus allowing him to continue his king. I think in all sincerity, David would have delivered Saul and the Israelite army from the Philistines. I think he would have succeeded in doing that. And all of these things that God has accomplished in this simple providential parting of the ways, it just looks like one people, one group of people is going to Jezreel and another group of people is going to Ziklag. And that's all we can really see in the moment. But now we have the, 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 the privilege of looking backwards and seeing the way that God is working all of this quietly, all of these things past and present according to his own plan and purpose. We are so often bothered and troubled by thinking about God's sovereignty. But I want you to understand that God's sovereignty is used for a purpose. God is not just willy-nilly making decisions and doing this one day and that another. He's not acting like you would act if you were God, right? If you just all of a sudden had all the power in the world and you were Bruce Almighty one day, the things you might choose to do with those powers, that's not how God is using His sovereignty. God is using His sovereignty to bring about a purpose. He's not just having fun with it. God is working all things together according to His plan and purpose. And that plan and that purpose existed before the foundation of the world. It undergirded the promises to Abraham. It 
animated God's promises that He made to David. It sustained, that plan and purpose did. It sustained the nation of Israel through war and famine and exile. And it's the very foundation of the First Baptist Church of Gadsden where you are gathered even now. You see, God is planning, God is purposing to unite and to renew all things through the person and work of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God created the world to display the glory of the Lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God made promises to Abraham in order that the nations might be blessed through His seed, our Lord Jesus Christ. God established the kingship of David in order that the kingdom of Christ might be established over the whole world. God sent David and his men going the opposite way from Jezreel in order to put him on that throne in order that Jesus might sit on the throne of David forever and ever and ever. And God brought you here today to hear a word that comforts and consoles. God keeps His promises. God accomplishes His promises purposes. When things seem quiet, when God seems distant, God is at work according to His plan. Though it might feel quiet now, though you may wish you could hear something, never forget for a moment that the lion of the tribe of Judah has roared forth love and grace and mercy into a world in desperate need of it. And from that moment at the cross and that moment on the first Easter, that love and grace and mercy, that roar of that lion reverberates through the world even to your ears today. And this morning, that word speaks to you in your moment of need, in your moment of desperation, in the quiet that you feel miserable in, even now, though it may seem quiet, though we wish that God might say more, what more does He need to say to us than that which He said through the life, through the death, and the resurrection of His Son? It's difficult. Things may feel quiet, but I can assure you, God is up to something.